The podcast world is growing bigger every day, and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future favorites. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's Tip Jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and they're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow Pizza City once you're there. Most of the time what I end up doing is I just show them my Instagram and show them that's what I've been promoting this whole time and I apologize for the inconvenience but that's what we're advertising and what we're delivering is exactly what we advertise so maybe it's just not the correct restaurant for them. An artisan pizzaiolo in Miami of all places making gorgeous textbook Neapolitan pies with extra long fermentation times and house-made mozzarella. VPN-level pizza in the land of Cuban sandwiches? You bet. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Belinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome to the show, everybody. Good to have you back. Another week of pizza here on Pizza City. We are in Miami on this week's show. Um, heading south a little bit. We were in uh, New York two weeks ago, and uh, we just keep jumping around the country. I mean, Seattle, Chicago. I really want to get to Portland, Oregon. That is on my list. I need to get up to that part of the part of the country. Haven't been up there in several years, but um, I was in Miami for a wedding a few months ago and reached out to um, a colleague of mine down there, professional food writer. Um, hey, Zach. And asking about pizzas. And I don't think of pizzas ever when I think about Miami. I go to Palacio de los Jugos for my juices and my Cuban sandwiches. Um, you know, I go, there's a link Enrique does. There's a great place called Sanguich um, over kind of near the, the Cuban area, I think near Cayocho, but not on Cayocho. Anyway, I think of pork and I think of, um, I don't think of Italian food. <laughs> But uh, Zach said, you got to go try Stanzione 87. Uh, Franco Stanzione is really doing some great pizzas over there. He's in Brickle, which is another weird area. It's downtown. It's next to a ginormous mall with very little soul. Um, just a lot of concrete and steel over there. It's just south of the Miami River, not far from the, from the water, actually, uh, which is you know a gorgeous area. But for some reason, this area had some like weird... Um, open parking lots. Uh, there's a lot of construction over there and a little hard to find. But we finally got to Stanzione 87 and um, saw that beautiful Italian oven and found out that he's fermenting the dough 72 hours, which is quite a bit longer than normal. VPNs, VPNs, by the way, is Verace Pizza Napolitana. That's the certificate you get uh, when you get certified to, to have the Neapolitan sort of stamp of approval. A lot of places don't want to do that because you got to pay for it first of all, and you've got to you know adhere to certain certain rules. Um, and a lot of guys don't want to do that. But anyway, Franco's really he's making the mozzarella in house, and it's just it, he's got a great great setup there. Lots of red pizzas, lots of white pizzas, average around sixteen bucks. So I mean, really reasonable. 
and uh, we had a couple of pizzas there for lunch. But um, I ended up, he had a crazy weekend when I was down there. I had the wedding, and he was running around orders, and we finally met up um, in South Beach to chat, uh, really, to just to, to dig into kind of his background and what he's doing and why he is so focused. So let's just pick it up where I ask him, what makes his Neapolitans so unique? A lot of places don't necessarily ferment their dough 72 hours. A lot of places don't necessarily make their own mozzarella in-house. Why did you decide to do that at Stanzione 87? Well, we thought it was just we should go a little bit more above and beyond, kind of combining more modern techniques uh, with pizza making. I didn't find any mozzarella that I really loved, so I decided to just learn how to make my own. One of the big issues also is when I opened up six years ago, almost, uh, in 2013, it was really difficult to find products down here. This isn't a market like New York or Chicago or California where you have all these quality vendors. So it was really difficult even to find zero, zero, zero flour back then, uh, believe it or not. Nowadays it's pretty commonplace and Samarzano tomatoes, real Samarzano tomatoes are really difficult to find in Miami. So yeah, that was also another big thing. It was really difficult to find the products that we needed. Even though there are so many good restaurants, they just seem to, I guess, have a vendor I never knew about or something special to get their ingredients. So um, that was also one of the main reasons why we went after making our own mozzarella was, uh, was that there was a shortage in the market. And then as far as fermentation, that was just what we thought would do well for our dough. Um, I was taught to make pizza by Giulio from originally Forcella. Now he has uh, the local pizzaiolo in Atlanta. And he does a long ferment on his dough and he makes his own mozzarella. And being a student of his, I kind of wanted to represent him um, in that sense and do something similar to what he does. So I thought that that was the right way of doing it. Does that have anything to do with the ambient temperature here in Miami, which can fluctuate quite a bit? And of course, in the summertime is pretty brutal and oppressive. I've never paid that much attention to the difference of temperatures. A lot of people do, but I, I mean, I make pizza slightly. I make my dough by eyesight. I don't really measure it. You're not measuring it to the gram and being precise. You're doing it by touch and feel and how it looks? Yes. Um, we do that on a large scale. Since I'm the only one who makes dough at my restaurant, I guess it makes it a little bit easier. Now as we scale up our operations, we'll obviously have to create a recipe for it and um, have the deviations for the temperature ranges, the humidity, and all these factors. Now you're a VPN certified. Is it Verace Pizza Napolitana? You got the certification? Um, we don't at the moment. Um, we originally set out to do the certification, and then afterwards I did not like the product of many of the places that were certified, so I didn't want to be in the grouped in the same category as them. That happens a lot. I've seen that also in Chicago, and sometimes just because you have the certification doesn't necessarily mean it is, uh, it, it's perfection. And, and why is that? Because people take shortcuts, or they could use mozzarella that's domestic, or I mean, you've got to check all these certain boxes to be VPN, right? Yeah, so you have to check a lot of boxes. However, those boxes don't, you can still have a terrible final product using great products if you don't have good technique. So I think that that's one of the biggest issues. Um, they're just not as skilled as one would hope. And um, yeah, I didn't want to be in the same category as them, uh, a lot of those pizzerias, just because it seemed, it just, I just didn't want to be grouped with people who I thought we were ahead of. You can still have a bad Neapolitan pizza, and you can, and that's very, very apparent, especially in Naples. Now you look like a young guy, um, and yet you've got a lot of experience. How did you get into this business uh, at an early age? Well, my uncle owned restaurants in Miami. Um, my partner owned hospitality businesses, and um, I worked for both of those gentlemen from the age of 15. 
so um, I believe that that was my basis and I, I'm, I've been with my spouse now since, for many years, for, since high school. After college, I was very motivated to start a life, uh, so I didn't have those years of kind of figuring it out. So when I was about 21, I signed a lease for my space. When I was 23, I opened up my restaurant, and I've just been doing that ever since. So, um, and that was six years ago? Yeah. So it's pretty funny. I mean, um, yeah, like I'm under 30, and I've owned a restaurant already for six years. It's kind of, it's very weird. Um, yeah, I read that you guys really had to figure out the hard way because, of course, you were young, didn't have a lot of experience as entrepreneurs. You've worked for other people and did training, but having your own place, especially where it is in Brickell, a lot of steel and concrete. It's not Miami Beach. It's not South yeah. Beach. It's not the design district. Tell me about that area that you're in, too. Well, the area that we're in right now is a beautiful area. We're, we have that mall, I don't know if you saw it, next door to the restaurant. Um, that mall was a hole for the first four years that we were open. And it was the street was closed every single day. Our sidewalk was closed. And the city here doesn't really help any of the businesses out. They did the project, so it was really difficult in that sense. We didn't have a PR team. You know, we opened up the restaurant and we made a little bit of extra cash and we bought a new refrigerator. We made a little bit of extra cash, we got our POS upgrade. and. That was the way we ran our business because we didn't have the resources a lot of other people do when they open up a restaurant. We didn't have the experience, you know, to really gauge for, for those kinds of items. And um, it was very difficult. Um, the neighborhood that we live in is very financial. It's pretty much like the financial district of Manhattan. We do have a lot of residents. Um, I think we have like 140,000 people living there now. Um, it's the second most dense neighborhood outside of Manhattan um, in like the East Coast. So it, it does have a lot of people. But, you know, it is still a financial neighborhood, so a lot of people are trying to get out for dinner, come to South Beach, come to one of these kind of glitzier areas. And, um, yeah, we just service that neighborhood, but it was a difficult road, and I think Miami's a very difficult city. Um, the attitude for us for years was never an appreciation of people walking in appreciating that we were doing something special. It was more of an attitude of walking in and saying, let's see how good this is. Like, oh, I heard you make the best pizza. Let's see what you got. And it was like that. And it was never kind of like, hey, dude, thanks for opening up here. You know, we really like your product. Never. And when it was good, it was just what it was supposed to be. And when it was not perfect, it was everything they imagined, like the mistake. So it's a very strange market. And years ago, we were the only kind of fork and knife guy besides Michael Schwartz's Harry's Pizzeria. Um, I believe that we have two completely different things. Um, I, you do. I've been to Harry's. It's very different. Yeah, I believe that's more ingredient focused, and where like what's on top is just cooked and kind of put on top, and where our whole thing is based on dough. And I see as their concept develops, it looks more like our pizza. Um, their future, they're now pizzerias, but back then it was completely separate. And Lucali is also one of the pioneers down here that opened up a long time ago. And I think probably between Harry's, myself, and Lucali. Every other pizzeria in Miami has someone working who passed through one of our restaurants. Um, so it's pretty funny. <laughs> Miami is probably not unlike a lot of other North American cities in that people come in with expectations and they hear Neapolitan pizza and they may not know that pizza from Naples is a bit wetter, softer, knife and fork. It's not crispy, it's not crunchy, you can't really fold it in half like you can on the East Coast. Um, it's just a different product and some people I know in Chicago send their pizzas back and want them well done or want them cooked more. And this is just not how it works with this pizza. It's a, it's a minute long, 90 second long bake. So um, is that difficult also for you to sort of uh, translate that uh, to this audience? I mean, I believe it was difficult in the beginning. One of the biggest factors that we have is um, we do a 
incredible amount of delivery and takeout business. Um, for two years, we didn't do any delivery or takeout business. Um, we didn't allow it. We only allowed dining at the restaurant. We actually didn't even have pizza boxes. And, um, you know, that, that, was, that was more of an issue. Um, the, we didn't allow alterations either. We don't allow any half-and-half half pizzas. Um, and those were all real big issues in Miami, especially at that time period. Everyone thought we were just being difficult. We didn't, they didn't realize that we were just trying to, you know, create a different style of product to the best that we could. And we were going to limit ourselves and the product that they're going to have at the end by the changes that they wanted to make to it. Um, here we don't have that issue so much. We have a high European influence. So um, we're able to sustain ourselves with with just being Neapolitan and, and having so many Neapolitans in Miami makes it a little little bit easier. But at the same time, yeah, some people don't like it. They think the pizza's burnt because they see the leoparding. They think that the pizza's too soft because it's soft. And, you know, I, most of the time what I end up doing is I just show them my Instagram and show them that's what I've been promoting this whole time. And I apologize for the inconvenience, but that's what we're advertising and what we're delivering is exactly what we advertise. So maybe it's just not the correct restaurant for them. I don't know, you don't walk into a motorcycle store to buy a car, you know. We're going to take a quick break, talking to Franco Stazione from Stazione 87 here in Miami. We'll be right back. This year, make health and wellness a top priority with the help of Care Of's monthly subscription vitamin service. Whether you're focused on glowing skin, boosting your energy levels, getting more sleep, or generally just being healthy, you can build a vitamin routine that's made just for you and your health goals. Here's the cool thing. They have an online quiz lets you know exactly what you need. I took it. takes about three, four minutes. Uh, it's kind of fun, actually. And they ask you about your diet, your health goals, your lifestyle choices. Um, and here's the thing, you can really focus on what your priorities are. So mine, obviously, is digestion and my sleep. Those are two the most important things for me. So they will send me a customized packet of vitamins each month. It's very easy, convenient. It's hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking. Care-of delivers daily vitamin and supplement packs customized to your recommendations to promote personal health and wellness. Here's the deal, just for our listeners. Uh, you get 50% off your first month of personalized Care Of Vitamins. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter Pizza50. That's for 50% off your first month of personalized Care Of Vitamins. Go to TakeCareOf.com, enter Pizza50. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Pizza City a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at pizza.robinhood.com. That's pizza 
www.robinhood.com. Talking with Franco Stazione from Stazione 87 here in Miami. Um, it's located downtown in like the Brickell area, I believe it's called. Um, and we were talking in the last segment about um, what people's expectations are of Neapolitan pizza. Let's talk about Neapolitan pizza, though. Earlier in the interview, you talked about the, the long fermentation. Typically, like what I've seen in Chicago, and maybe you tell me what the VPN certification is, but it's usually a day or overnight yeah, fermentation. You're doing 72 hours. So talk about your dough, first of all. You're using the stagione. I prefer Cinque Stagione. It's a little bit less commercial than Caputo. Um, I think that their, flour, their flour is a little better, so Caputo's kind of buying weeds from all over the world and milling them, whereas Cinque Stagione is sourcing from one area. That would be a comparison to maybe like a single vineyard wine. Um, and that's what we're looking for, something a little bit better, and it allows us to do that long fermentation. Um, so yeah, I mean, our procedures, the only difficult part with our dough and our production is forecasting correctly. Um, but once you, you start, you know, it keeps on going. Though Every now and then, we'll obviously have, there'll be a little issue. Like last year, we had a pretty serious hurricane, and we lost all of our power for a while. Um, so we'll have an issue where we have to, like, jumpstart and not be able to do our 72-hour. But for the most part, 99% of the time, it's going to be a 72-hour firm dough. Does that affect the uh, hydration in your dough with a longer ferment? Um, I believe so. I believe, well, we use a pretty high hydration. Like 68%? Um, I would say we do like about 75%. Wow, okay. And then we finish, the doughs for me is never finished until we roll it into dough balls. So my doughs um, has almost like a biga to start it. And then after. Like a pre-ferment, right? Yeah, so it has like almost like a, like a day of starter. That's a style I, I've been using lately. Um, or I, I use just regular yeast. And um, after what I do is I leave it very, very hydrated. And after, two, after a day and a half of bulk, I will finish that with more flour and re-roll the dough by hand. So I'll finish it kind of by hand, adding flour and folding it into itself. And I'll let that rise for another four hours. After that, I'll roll that into dough balls, and then after the next day, we'll be starting to use it. And concurrently, you're making your own mozzarella. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that process. Well, I think the mozzarella making process is something everybody should get on, personally. I think every restaurant should be producing mozzarella. We buy curd, you know, and we break down curd, and we add water, hot water, and salt. Um, it's not a difficult process. It's very, very simple, and the same technique you use to roll a dough ball, you can use to roll mozzarella. You're going to make a much better quality product. It's going to be much better for your guests, and there's no comparison to making mozzarella today, putting it on your pizza, and tomorrow making a fresh batch, and every single day going like that. It's not that difficult. I think it's irresponsible that there's so many pizzerias that aren't doing that with the quality of mozzarella you can produce. And then San Marzano tomatoes, I'm guessing? Yeah, we use San Marzano tomatoes. We use La Rega. Um, yeah, just some regular San Marzanos. Organic basil? Um, yeah, we do organic basil. We try to go organic wherever we can, so um, we have organic basil. We try to also use local guys, but um, here it's a little bit difficult with um, the rain, the sun, and the random cold front that kind of freezes everything. So, Any special olive oil or anything imported? Uh, we use extra virgin. We import our, We have an imported extra virgin olive oil. It's a nice one. People seem to really enjoy it. And in terms of other toppings beyond the margarita, would you, if you get, you know, soppressatas, or do you do, I had a salumi yesterday, anything you're getting from local purveyors, or does it all have to be brought in from elsewhere? Um, I'm doing most of them from Italy. I think I'm lucky enough that I have a lot of friends in the food industry nowadays. And, um, for example, last week I did, two weeks ago, I had a lamb salami from Aussie Beef and Lambs. One of my friends works for them, and he dropped it off, so we did a special with that. And 
We did the lamb salami with the salsa verde. It's delicious. We also did a lamb bologna pizza. It was lamb bologna with a Calabrian pepper hot sauce and scrambled eggs. Um, it was pretty incredible. And yeah, so I mean, as far as ingredients and toppings that go, it's it goes with whatever we're we, we can get that's great at the moment. So we've done clam pizzas. Uh, we've done the Motorino Brussels sprout pizzas in homage to Motorino. We've done the Franny's clam pizza when they were closing up as an homage to them. Um, it's mostly, yeah, just like whatever we feel like making that day. The oven, about 900 degrees, give or take? Yeah, we, we, have like, we, we like to operate at 900. I personally operate a little bit higher than 900. Um, yesterday when you came by, I had my oven temp a little bit lower because I was making so many pizzas. So I needed to make sure that we could be not burn any of the pizzas. And the person who was working with me had been making pizza for two days. So it was very interesting to, to be able to do that. So we had to make sure that the oven was like, at, I think it was like 850. And your pizza was probably like at 925. That's why it was a little bit like, it was that, it was crispy and kind of soft. And the crust wasn't huge. You, you would. I love that. Right. More. You know, people love Una Pizza Napolitana. I know he's very well respected in the industry. I thought the cornichon was so big and so overpowering. And I loved your sort of the ratio on your pie, that it was just a little tighter. Um, I don't know if that was a by intention, but it, I loved how that it didn't overwhelm the pizza. Yeah, I mean, well, that's what we're all searching for, like a balance. I think his pizza's great. I'm a big fan, but I know exactly what you mean and. Uh, I constantly look for balance in, in the pizza and the product, and it goes from the way that I open it to the way that the oven is and all the little adjustments to make it. I mean, I think that's a great ratio, the way that your pizza came out as well, because it is, everyone, I feel like it's almost like a cop-out, like a race to who can make the biggest crust, and you're the best in the world, you know, kind of thing. That's what everyone's thinking, because that's what I see now in Naples a lot, um, and I don't think that that necessarily means that much, you know, the airy cornichone. But his pizza is, is delicious. I just think he specifically makes pizza to make that pizza like that. And what, do you, what kind of wood do you burn? We use blackjack oak. Um, blackjack oak comes from Georgia. And your pizzas take about a minute, a minute 20? Yeah, so we do 60 to 90 seconds. Sometimes operate a little bit faster. We have 30, 45 second cook time sometimes. It just depends on the evening and the production. And then yesterday I tried a fried pizza. Tell me about that. You, you fry the dough and you bake it? Yeah, so we, we do the montanara. We fry the dough. Then we bake it. with. A t then afterwards, we, after we fry the dough, we add tomato sauce, basil, mozzarella. We throw that inside the oven. And we just melt the ingredients pretty much and toast up the pizza a little bit. So it, it gives it a different version of the same product almost. Um, in New York City, there's Geste by Roberto and there's Giulio, who both of them were the guys who like pioneered the fried pizza. Okay, last question. Uh, you now have the benefit of hindsight. So you've gone through this process with your wife. You've learned a lot of hard lessons, obviously. What kind of advice would you give yourself six, seven, eight years ago, right before you opened up? Um, in terms of embarking on this um, endeavor and making Neapolitan pizzas your life? Patience. I believe when I opened, I thought success was imminent and I was entitled to it. And it was a very, very long, hard road um, to even have any kind of recognition. So I believe that it was, it was great because it makes you grow up. And I did grow up in my restaurant from 21 to 29. I've been there every single day. And um, I, you learn a lot, and I believe that if the success would have come immediately, we would have, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Um, so the only advice I would have is to, to have patience. I mean, I can look back and tell you this neighborhood would have been better, this city would have you know, produced more at this time now, having the knowledge 
of what a city needs in order to sustain a restaurant like mine. But at the same time, I think um, we made it work, and I wouldn't trade that for the world. I mean, we used to, we're the pizzeria that stayed open until we made the number we needed to make. It didn't matter if it was 18 hours a day, but we were there, and, I, and I'm pretty proud of that. You should be. Uh, if you like pizza and you're in Miami, make a point to go see Franco Stanzione at Stanzione 87 in Brickell. And uh, Franco, thanks again for your time. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that'll do it for today's show. But coming up in two weeks, a Korean-American woman from the Twin Cities who went to Columbia University only to end up back home making some of the best pizza in town. I've adjusted the recipe so that it's not like a traditional Neapolitan crust. Um, I really respect those who pursue, the, go down that uh, road. But for me, I like a pizza with a little bit of heft, a little bit of chew. I'll talk with Ann Kim, the driving force behind Pizzeria Lola and Young Joni, each of which is dominated by a gorgeous La Pagnole copper-clad oven. That's in two weeks on April 12th. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or the Himalaya app, and please review us. And by us, I mean me, since I produce today's show. You can follow us at Pizza City USA on Instagram. On Twitter, it's Pizza City Tours. And speaking of tours, take one the next time you're in Chicago. More info about those and how to get my book at PizzaCityUSA.com. You can send compliments or complaints to me on all social media at Steve Delinsky. That's with a Y. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. And next time you're in Chicago, check out the Revival Food Hall. It's down in the Loop. It's 125 South Clark. I've got a pop-up going there for the next year. Every three months, a different Chicago neighborhood pizzeria coming down to the Loop, Monday through Friday only. Right now, we are currently in the My Pie pop-up, which is one of the best deep dishes in the city. Up until now, they've only been in one neighborhood, but now they are down in the Loop at the Revival Food Hall. Thanks for listening, everybody. And remember, optimal bite ratio always.